0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, and welcome to episode number 201 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Belief Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Crippotti. With me, as always, is Tony Pauline. And we are back this week to wrap up the prospects to watch from the Atlantic Coast Conference, or the ACC. It's about the middle of August now, Tony, which means that we are officially less than three weeks away from the start of the college football season. Actually, I think it's about two and a half weeks because that weekend
1: before Labor Day, there's a about, about a half dozen games, uh, I believe, Friday night and Saturday night. That Labor Day weekend is really when it kicks off Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, even a couple of uh, games, I believe, Sunday and Monday, uh, which really kicks off the season, which is fun, but you're looking forward to especially here, uh, here in the middle of August, where it was almost 1,000 degrees today in New York. So uh, <laughs> as summer goes by a little too fast at times, but uh, at the end of the summer, we got football season
0: and college football, as you said, will be here uh, before we know it. Yep, August 28th. So I guess by the time this, uh, this show goes out to the public, it'll be 16 days until the season. And, uh, you know, definitely a different start to this year than, than last year. And luckily for me, I have not gone outside today, so I did not have to deal with any of this stifling heat. Well, uh, you
1: stay in today and stay in for the next, I believe, two to three days because it's only going to get worse if you believe the
0: weatherman. Absolutely. And we will get to this week's show in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you should go to win money today.
1: Whether it's live bets during games or futures for who you think will win the championship, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your
0: online sports betting needs. Now, last week, Tony was curious about the Bills' Super Bowl odds. Plus 1100 for the Bills, about 11 to 1, tied for third with the Packers. Buffalo is also minus 150 to win the AFC East, the odds on favorite. Both the Dolphins and Patriots are listed at plus 340. And then our lowly Jets, plus 1800 to win the division. Tony, do you think either Miami or New England are solid bets to win the division about 25% of the time? No. I don't think anybody's going to beat Buffalo.
1: I think they're an organization headed in the right direction. They got a developing quarterback who just signed a massive contract. And I think, like last year, they will be the team to beat in the AFC
0: East and possibly the entire conference. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So, before the next tip off, face off, or pitch, head on over to betonline.ag, start playing today and bet on those Buffalo Bills. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now the ACC, as we mentioned on last week's show, 42 total players drafted in April. 19 of those 42 were part of the programs that we're going to cover on today's episode. And only two of those, unlike four last week, were first round picks. Both of them coming from Virginia Tech and cornerback Caleb Farley and offensive tackle Christian Darasaw. Nine players from these programs went on the second day of the draft. So definitely some intrigue here as a whole. We discussed the outlook for the entire conference on last week's episode. But, Tony, what stands out to you about this group of teams? Well, last week we talked about schools like Clemson
1: and Miami that have a plethora, right? probably the largest quantity of draftable players. This week in North Carolina and Virginia Tech, we're going to talk about two programs that have some of the higher rated prospects in the entire conference.
0: Now, before we get into the teams in the back half of the ACC, we have a quick message from our friends at Balance 7. So I don't know if you heard, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may soon be returning to professional basketball in Spain. I was reading a press
1: release about how Lamar started taking a pH-balancing alkaline supplement called Balance 7, and that has helped him bounce back
0: From his hospitalization in 2015. He even said, quote, I have an enormous amount of energy, which is good for me. It's important when working out. I always need energy to level up. Couldn't agree more with Lamar. After watching him fight
1: Aaron Carter in July's celebrity boxing match, I think it's safe to say that Balance 7 is working
0: for him. Cool thing is that we have a promotion running with Balance 7 right now. Or if you go to their website, Balance7.com, that's the number seven, not the word spelled out. And you can use the code BLEAVE at checkout to receive a free four ounce bottle of My Smooth Skin with any purchase of Balance 7 products. That product retails at $13.99. So I'd say it's worth it. Again, head to
1: balance7.com. That's balance7.com. And use the code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout to get in on the promotion. I know I will. If it worked for him, it can work for you and I as well.
0: UNC, after a two-year drought in 2015 and 2016, has had a player selected five straight years in the draft, also had five draft picks in April, three of whom went in the top 85, two of which were skill players in running back Javante Williams and wide receiver Diami Brown, also had running back Michael Carter going round four to the Jets, and their top prospect for 2022, the guy who helped all three of those players reach their ceilings last season, and that's quarterback Sam Howell. Tony and I both had him going number one in our 2022 mock draft several episodes ago, big, accurate arm, improved his completion percentage to nearly 70% as a sophomore yards per attempt went from 8.6 to over 10. So he's got the traits. He's got the upward trajectory that we like to see in quarterback prospects. Well, he's not a big time runner. He's also not a statue in the pocket either. He can escape when necessary. And even if he were a statue, it might not be an issue with a couple of the guys he has blocking in front of him. Potential day three picks in Asim Richards and Marcus McKeithen. Richards is a guy who does a great job protecting the blind side and pass protection. While McKeithen, starting right guard for the Tar Heels, a big, powerful blocker on the inside who helped open a lot of holes for Javante Williams and Michael Carter last season. Tony, break down the Tar Heels for us. Yeah, you know Howell's shown great improvement. He's a guy who likes to
1: challenge the vertical game, as you said. He's got a strong, accurate downfield arm. He also does the little things well. I like the way he reads defenses. I like the way he protects the football. It's going to be a challenge for him this year. Losing Diami Brown, losing his top receivers, losing his top running backs. So, I mean, he's going to have a good offensive line in front of him, but he's going to have brand new skill players to throw the ball to and hand the ball off to. I love his upside. As you mentioned, his upward trajectory. I think he absolutely, right now, is on the path to potentially, if he's not the first pick of the draft, he'll be a top five pick, especially after a, a terrific year, which will be his third in a row as a starter at North Carolina. There'll be some bums because of the guys that he lost. Uh, but, but there's no reason not to believe that he's going to be an early pick. I spoke with scouts who are great underclassmen, and right now they have him as a mid-first-round choice, which is not you know uh, unusual. I mean, except for the Trevor Lawrences of the world, most of these guys, especially the quarterbacks, are uh, usually downgraded or or, or not graded as highly as people think. I mean, Zach Wilson, entering his junior season last year, was graded as a fifth-round pick. Um, So Howell, as a mid-first-round choice as a junior quarterback, that's a pretty good uh, grade. Asim Rich is the left tackle. He's a mobile guy. He's fundamentally sound. Uh, He can slide out off the edge. Don't know about his height. Teams may look at him as a zone-blocking guard, only a third-year junior. McKeithen is someone who scouts great as a seventh round pick. Some have him as a free agent. I like him as an early six rounder. He's got great size, six, six and a half, 335 pounds. And he is a masher. He's a mauler, long arms. He just drives opponents off the line of scrimmage, opens up huge holes for the running game. What he's not is he's not nimbly or, or agile. He's not a guy that you can use in a zone blocking system, as opposed to Richards where you can use him in his own blocking system where in this day and age in NFL football, you want those more nimble offensive linemen. But I think in the right system, McKethan is going to be a terrific day three pick and could eventually
0: start at the next level. Now, Staying in-state and moving over to NC State, six straight drafts with a pick, but only one player selected in 2021. That was defensive tackle Ali McNeil at number 72 overall to the Lions. Now, the Wolfpack are unlikely to place anybody on day two next year, but they do have another defensive tackle atop their board, Florida State transfer Corey Durden. After making 39 tackles, six and a half of them for loss, with five sacks in 2019, he only started three games last year for the Seminoles. Limited impact when he was on the field, but the size and athleticism that he brings to the game could certainly lead to a bounce back in a new environment with a fresh start. A lot of things happening at Florida State last year, as we know. Sticking on defense, several linebackers of note for nc state peyton wilson is the team's leading tackler the past two seasons isaiah moore ranked second last year in tackles both of these guys have nice size wilson makes more plays in the passing game three interceptions over the past two years compared to Moore's zero while Moore is a bit more of a run defender but he is one that tony likes a lot and then you have vi jones the smallest and the most athletic of the trio also the least productive started just four games after sitting out the 2019 season because he transferred from USC where he was previously known as Levi Jones. But all three of these linebackers could end up getting drafted more though. The only senior of the bunch who will definitely be in the 2022 draft. Yeah. You know, you see by Jones is the smallest of the group.
1: He's still six, two and a half, 230 pounds. And he's very athletic. He's probably the most athletic of the group, but he's also the roughest around the edge. And he's a guy that they use up at the line of scrimmage, but when they drop him into space or they drop him into coverage, which is unusual, he gets excellent depth. He's very athletic. He covers a lot of area on the field. Really one of those guys who's a real good athlete right now. He's got to learn to become a football player. Most scouts grade him as a priority free agent. I graded him as a six round prospect because I love his size. I love his speed. I love the things he's shown on film. He's just got to be more consistent about it. Uh, Isaiah Moore has been a favorite of mine literally for the past couple of years. I don't think he's progressed the way I thought possible. I think he's ridiculously underrated in scouting circles. A lot of scouts have him as a lowly rated free agent, 6'2", 238 pounds runs and plays in the four sevens. As you said, primarily a run stuffer, a guy that you're not going to keep on the field on third down and passing situations, but he's a real good run stuffer. I think also with Moore is I think he's better suited for four three where North Carolina State plays more of a 3-4. Peyton Wilson, I have him graded just below more, but I think down the road, he could be the best of the bunch uh, because of his upside. He's very polished, very instinctive, can play three downs. You know, going back to Corey Durden, I have him graded as a fourth rounder right now, but I think he definitely has the possibility to move into the second day. You mentioned his 2019 film, or his 2019 stats, I should say. And if you watch the film, the guy stood out. 6'5", 312 pounds, He's quick. He's explosive. He's athletic. He's also strong. Someone who I would expect to run under five in the forty uh, at the combine or pre-draft workouts. Not that that means that much, except it's a sign of athleticism. But again, as you mentioned, I mean, did not have a good 2020 campaign. There weren't, <laughs> there were very few Florida State Seminoles who had good uh, 2020 campaigns that were expected to. I think the change of scenery uh, is going to be good for Corey Durden. You know, one guy that we are not mentioning, or we we didn't mention at at the beginning, that is getting a lot of pub in in the world of the internet is North Carolina State tackle Akeem Ekwonu, uh, a big left tackle prospect. Uh, I I spoke with somebody about him today who saw him in a mock first round. I I think that's ridiculous. I think Ekwonu has got great upside. He's got an NFL body. He seems relatively athletic but he needs a ton of work on his game. I mean, he needs to improve his footwork was not a consistent starter at left tackle last year for North Carolina state. He'll get that opportunity to be a consistent starter this year. You know, maybe down the road, he could be a day two pick, but right now I got him graded as sort of a
0: developmental prospect. That's a third year junior. Who's a day three pick. Now moving over to pit six draft picks this past year, all of them coming on day three, except for Patrick Jones, who went 90th overall to Minnesota, now, while they might have trouble matching that second day peak, kind of like North Carolina State, although Durden is certainly an option, as Tony mentioned, unlike the Wolfpack, they're definitely not going to match the quantity of players that they had drafted last season. The top prospect for the Panthers is quarterback Kenny Pickett, a guy who's made some incremental improvements the past several seasons, but mostly he is what he is. Average arm, average mobility, does a good job keeping the offense on schedule, but throws downfield into the sideline, can give him trouble at times due to lack of arm strength. He's a good college player who maxes out his skill set, but that skill set really just isn't one of an NFL starter or, honestly, even a high-end backup. But that doesn't mean he's not a draftable prospect. And like the other quarterback we discussed earlier in the show, Pickett has a couple guys blocking in front of him who could be draftable guys. Big Carter Warren protects the blind side, and calling him big might not even do it justice. I mean, he is massive. While left guard Marcus Miner, a grad transfer from Maryland, good movement skills, guy you can use in motion inside. Anything else of intrigue for you at Pitt, Tony?
1: Not really. I mean, maybe with Lucas Kroll, the uh, tight end, who's 6'5", 250 pounds. He looks like a power forward on the football field, but he plays like someone who's a real good athlete that needs to learn to be a football player. Pitt doesn't use him that much uh, in the offense, which is surprising considering the type of quarterback that Kenny Pickett is. I got Kroll right now graded as a free agent. Scouts didn't even put a grade on him, or or at least the scouts I spoke with didn't put a grade on him. You know, getting back to Pickett, when you look at the intangible sides of him, you know, his ability to lead the offense, his decision-making, his ability to read defenses, they grade highly. I mean, they grade like a potential day-two pick. But as you said, I mean, he doesn't have a strong arm. The further downfield he tries to get the pass, the more of an adventure it is. I mean, he's a good number three quarterback, I believe, at the next level. I don't think he's ever going to be a starter. He's more of a game manager, even on the college level. He's more of a game manager than someone that carries his offense uh, on the shoulders. Uh, Marcus Miner was a good tackle at Maryland. Made the move to Pittsburgh. Uh, Again, scouts that I spoke to don't even have him graded. I put a sixth, seventh-round grade on based on the Maryland film. Uh, I like his upside. As you said, he's mobile. Not the biggest guy in the world, but someone you could use in a zone-blocking system. And size, as you mentioned, is not a problem for uh, Carter Warren. Six, five and a half, 320 pounds. He's got long arms. He's a big, strong guy who's relatively mobile for someone that's, you know, in the 320-pound range. I think he's a right tackle at the next level. I think he's a developmental right tackle, I should say. I think he's a potential late-round pick. I got a seventh-round grade on him. You take him in the seventh round. You stash him on the practice squad. You you basically help him finish his game. I hope to see some improvement. If we see improvement in Warren's game this year – Good possibility he could move into the middle part of day three.
0: Now, Syracuse didn't have a player drafted in 2017, but they've had at least one every year since. But they've had no more than two in any of those seasons, and that's what they had in 2021, with DBs Andre Cisco and Afiti Malafanu going in round three. Wide receiver Taj Harris and offensive tackle Matthew Bergeron will try to extend that two-drafty streak to three years in 2022. Harris has been a starter since his freshman season, took a big step forward in 2020 with 58 catches, 733 yards, and five touchdowns. He's over six feet tall, has a long, thin frame, but he has shown deep ball ability, almost 14 yards per catch in his college career. And Bergeron, first eight career starts came at right tackle. His last eight last year came at left tackle after he moved over from the right side. And really that move coincided with a big improvement along the orange offensive line His good size and power. Definitely a player to watch, but he's just a junior. So it definitely might be just a one person draft class here for Syracuse in 2022, or will it be Tony? I, I don't see it. Uh,
1: I don't see otherwise. I mean, they do have a, a kicker Andrew smite who a lot of scouts like, but uh, he, I mean, he could slide into the late rounds, uh, Syracuse is known for uh, placing kickers into the league. I mean, Syracuse, I believe, is going to need a, a big season. Or Dino Babers is going to lose his job, the head coach there. And I don't see them having a big uh, season. Now, Taj Harris has got decent length. He's sneaky fast in the sense that he's not going to time well in the 40, but he shows himself to be a good vertical receiver on the field. He's fundamentally sound, but I don't think he's anything more than a number five receiver at the next level in a late round pick. Matthew Bergeron, I like the things I saw from him last year when he was on the field. Good left tackle with excellent movement skills. He's got a good amount of upside, but he's got to polish his game. And, you know, Syracuse, like the next team we're going to talk about, Virginia, very tough tape to get through because they just don't have a
0: lot of players, and of the players that they have, very few of them are any good. Now, speaking of that next team, it is Virginia. No draft picks in April, breaking a three-year streak for the Cavaliers. With a player selected, and really Tony led into this, it's possible that could be the case again in 2022. There's only one draftable player on Tony's board, and it's linebacker Noah Taylor, whose scouts actually view as a UDFA. He went from 13 and a half tackles for loss and seven sacks in 2019 to eight and a half and three, respectively, last season. Now, kind of like Charles Snowden, this past draft as a tall frame, should be able to add some weight and possibly play on the strong side at linebacker. And there he'll be able to use his pass rush skills and aggression. But really, he needs a bounce back season. He needs to produce like he did in 2019. Otherwise, he's going to fall out of the draft, just like scouts expect. Tony, I've been intrigued by Taylor as well. We've actually talked about him on the show in recent seasons. Why do you like him so much? First of all, he's got decent size and speed.
1: He goes six four and a half. He's close to 230 pounds. He probably times in the four sevens, but he plays faster. And, you know, you go back to the 2019 film and here was a guy while Charles Snowden was being used up in the box and up the field, it was Noah Taylor who was being used in space. He was covering a tremendous amount of area. He was explosive. He was nasty last year they moved them or they used him more up at the line of scrimmage. I, I just remember the player that I saw in 2019 and the player I saw in 2019 matches the solid size speed numbers. I didn't play well last year. I, I think it's a situation with with like, like Syracuse with Virginia, where if they don't turn it around quickly, their head coach Bronco Mendenhall, who was just hired there a few years ago, uh, could be out the door. Uh, but 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 Taylor is you know did not play well last year. But I, I can't get out of my head you know the notes I have on him and the film that I watched him uh, in 2019 where. You were watching the you were watching the film. You were looking for Charles Snowden. It was Noah Taylor who's going uh, sideline to sideline and up the field to make plays. It, you know, sort of like uh, another situation is they've got a safety by the name of Joey Blunt, who is primarily a, a run defending safety. But early in his career, there were a lot of people talked about Joey Blunt as a potential mid round pick. Joey Blunt right now on my board, as well as on the boards of scouts that I spoke with, is a UDFA. So you got to wonder when you see a guy like Noah Taylor show little uh, progress in his game uh, over the past two seasons. And you see a guy like Joey Blunt who really hasn't played all that well since 2018. Is it the player or is the
0: program that's not developing the players? And also 2020 kind of a wash year for a lot of players. I mean, you know, you don't want to excuse everybody. Um, there were opt-outs and everything like that, but but certainly if he bounces back in 2021 and he had good tape in 2019, could be a situation where, um, you know, scouts would be willing to throw out that 2020 tape. And if you look at this past year's draft and stay in state to Virginia Tech, there was no 2020 tape on a guy like Caleb Farley still went in the first round along with his teammate, Christian Darasaw. And the Hokies had no draft picks in 2019. They had one in 2020. So then they have two first rounders this past season and four players selected overall. Divine Diablo was the third who went round three. And that's kind of right around the spot where the top 2022 prospects from the program are going to slot in edge rusher Amari Barno is a Juco transfer who didn't record a stat in 2019, but moved to defensive end last season and really went off after playing linebacker coming in to school as a linebacker when he transferred Had 43 tackles in 2020, 16 of them for loss, six and a half sacks, two forced fumbles. And now his lanky frame makes it a bit tough for him once he gets fully engaged with blockers. But he has great speed and athleticism, both in pursuit and penetrating in the backfield. Probably is not going to be able to add the amount of weight necessary to play defensive end in the NFL, but at the very least could be a sub package rusher on passing downs. And now his teammate wide receiver, Tavion Robinson, also a bit undersized, but had 38 receptions for 592 yards and three touchdowns last season after 31 catches for 404 yards and one score as a freshman. He can make plays down the field as well, as can tight end James Mitchell. 26 catches, 435 yards, and four TDs in 2020. Second straight year that he's been right around the 17-yard per catch mark. Tony, I know you like Mitchell more than scouts. Why do you think that is? Watch the film.
1: I mean, there was talk that Mitchell was going to enter the draft last year, and people were talking about him as a potential third-round pick. So when I grade him as an early fourth-rounder, and I talk to scouts and they're saying sixth-round, I'm just I'm wondering you know where the disconnect is. I mean, he's a big guy, six three and a half, 250 pounds. He runs well. Uh, he's not a true burner, but he can get down the seam. He basically looks like a, a big, strong possession receiver on the field when you watch the film. He catches everything. He's a mobile guy. He's not stiff at all. They use him in motion. They send him out wide. They send him down the field. Okay, blocker. Not a great blocker. I don't. I don't think it's because of uh, lack of effort. Um, but you know, he can block. I I, I just, you watch the film, you look at the measurables, the things match up for James Mitchell to be at worst an early day three pick, if not a day two pick, you know, you talk about uh, Amari Barno, that's the type of edge rusher that we've seen come out of Virginia Tech, the smaller sleeker, but explosive guy who can get off the edge, very athletic, can change direction, make plays up the field, make plays in backside pursuits. Uh, and someone who's constantly around the ball, whether it's out of a three-point stance at the next level or whether it's standing over tackle, as I have him as an outside linebacker in a 3-4. I mean, he's a guy that is athletic and can get after the pass rusher, and that's always a big priority come draft day. Davion Robinson is a deep threat who is constantly making big plays for the offense. Virginia Tech is going to have anywhere if their underclassmen, their top underclassmen enter the draft. Could have anywhere from eight to nine guys drafted uh, next year. Armani Chapman, uh, the uh, the cornerback, he's a solid player. Devin Taylor, the senior. Scouts grade him as an undrafted free agent. Again, watch the film. He's a bit slow afoot, so but he's got uh, safety size and you can move him inside. I, I mean, it goes on and on. Jordan Williams, the defensive tackle transfer from Clemson. Looked real good in 2018. His, uh, his game has kind of leveled off since then but he's got excellent size at 6'3, 310 pounds. And he's exceptionally quick. A lot of scouts like Trey Turner, the receiver. And then they also got Changa Hodge uh, the Villanova transfer, who entering last year was given a draftable grade, decided to come back for a second senior season when he was kind of the odd man out when they threw him the ball last year, he did a good job. He just didn't get the ball uh, thrown in his direction too much. It still may be difficult for him this year with Tavion Robinson and Trey Turner, but they use three receiver sets. You know, uh, I think Changa Hodge can uh, make some noise and then maybe move into the late rounds or get consideration for the late rounds. Raheem Blackshear, another guy. I don't think Blackshear is going to get drafted. The Rutgers transfer, he's a smaller third down uh, back type who can turn the corner, very agile, real good pass catcher out of the backfield, doesn't have great measurables, probably goes undrafted, but I would expect him to compete uh, to be a number four back at the next level
0: in summer camp in 2022. Our final stop on today's show is wake forest. Just one selection in April, but that selection was one of our favorites. Carlos Basham jr. Going to Buffalo at pick 61. Now wake has put either one or two players into the draft each of the past five years. And that's a trend that will only continue in 2022. If redshirt junior quarterback, Sam Hartman enters the draft Hartman Started as a true freshman for the Demon Deacons, but he got hurt at the end of that 2018 season. And that opened up the door for Jamie Newman to play the final couple games that year. Jamie Newman obviously won the job in 2019, had a big season. So Hartman redshirted that year. Then he returned as a starter in 2020 when Newman transferred to Georgia, threw for over 2,200 yards, 13 touchdowns and five interceptions in nine games. Now Hartman lacks great size, does move well, throws a nice ball, Definitely an intriguing developmental type of quarterback. Break down Hartman for us, Tony, and any other intriguing Demon Deacons you see. You know, you want to kind of dismiss Hartman because
1: he's not the biggest guy in the world, but you watch him. He does a great job leading the offense. He makes plays in or out of the pocket. He shows tremendous poise. Even when he's escaping the rush outside the pocket, he's keeping his eyes downfield, looking for receivers. He's got a decent arm. Uh, I mean, you know, he he's got uh, an NFL type arm. Doesn't have a huge gun, but he can get the ball downfield. And then you look at the fact, you know, the Kyler Murray's of the world, the Baker Mayfields. I mean, how many smaller quarterbacks have gone so early in the draft? And and, you know, you can't uh, you you can't dismiss them. Compared to Newman, I mean, Hartman is much more accurate. He's got better pass placement. Newman had the better physical skills. He had the better build. He had the stronger arm but I think Hartman is much more on the money with his throws. going to be interesting to see how he plays and how scouts create him because scouts coming into the season, only fourth year junior, did not uh, give a grade to to Hartman, but he's an exciting college player to watch who I think in this day and age projects relatively well
0: to the NFL. And that's it for the 201st episode of the draft analyst presented by bet online and the belief sports podcast network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us any questions and give any feedback you may have as well. We'll be back next week with more Power 5 prospects to watch for the 2022 NFL Draft. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe.